This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Well, here we are in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's begin reading the scripture. And the angel of uh, the church, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these things say, uh, these things say he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things that still remain or which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your words perfect or your works perfect before the Lord. Let's pause there. Father, I thank you for your anointed word. And as we've opened it, I pray for revelation, illumination. Speak to our heart. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Let me just pause for a moment as we look at our scripture here. It says the seven uh, spirits of God. Let me say that this is referring to the, and it's a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's called the sevenfold ministry. In fact, in John, John chapter 14, Jesus himself in the upper room, Jesus was talking about the work of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit would come, after Christ had departed, he would come. He would be our comforter. He would be our helper. He would be the truth that would lead us into all truth. He would be the very presence of Christ, the manifestation of the very work of God in our lives. He is now in us, living within us. The power that rose Christ from the grave is the power of God, the work of the Spirit in your life. And so he was referring to the work of the Spirit. Now, many Many commentaries and theologians believe that this is also, and I want to read this to you, a reference back into the book of Isaiah. I want to read it to you in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And it would be the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So when you see here, you see these seven uh, manifestations and works of the spirit that Christ himself would be functioning within. And Jesus says, as the father has sent me, I now send you. And before you go, you wait for the anointing. You wait for the favor, the blessing, the, the, the empowerment of the spirit that will come from on high. And so that's what he was referring to. I mean, it talks about here the, the spirit of the Lord, wisdom, understanding, the counsel and power and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All of these are manifestations of the work of the spirit. Let's continue reading in the book of Revelation here. Revelation Chapter three, let me pick up again at verse two. Be watchful, right where you're at. Say that with me, be watchful. Type it in the chat box if you're in front of your computer. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready, that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received Remember how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. 
Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, you have a few names, a few that still remain in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before the father and before the angels. In verse six, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Can I hear an amen and an amen and an amen? Now, let me just give you a little bit of background about Sardis. I've been telling you about our different cities. In fact, let's look at our map Again, if you'll look at the map, you'll remember that we're going up the coast from Ephesus up to Smyrna and Pergama, Thyatira, and now into Sardis. Actually, this would be considered the postal route, more or less, uh, of that time. Now, Sardis was a very important city. It was a very wealthy city. It was wealthy because it had a river that would run up to it, and in that river was a rich deposit of gold. And so it was a very, very wealthy city. It was a trading city. In fact, at one time, it was the capital city. It had, it had the, the, the magnificence of what a capital would have, especially in Asia and Europe. I mean, the beauty that was there, the, the, the monuments and the fortresses and, and the temples and all uh, that you would know in a capital, Sardis had it. Now, the problem is, is even though at one time it was magnificent and even at one time it was the capital and it had such strength and wealth, it became a city of disrepair. It became a city of neglect and it became a city that literally, literally was crumbling under their feet. And as the enemy from Persia would try to come to attack the city of Sardis, they would look to how they could penetrate into the city with the high walls and with the strong army. They didn't know how they would get in. But one day, we know from historical uh, records, one day, a Persian um, uh, soldier was watching the wall and there was one of the, the soldiers from the, the army of, the, of, of Sarda and they were walking along. If you will remember of ancient times, walls would be eight, 10, 15 feet thick and they were walking back and forth and his helmet fell off. And as his helmet, and helmets were very costly at that time, were very uh, important, uh, uh, if it would be peace of the soldier's army, when he dropped his helmet, it went tumbling way down. And all of a sudden, the Persian soldier saw the soldier from, from, uh, from the city of Sarda, saw him disappear. And the next thing is he saw him come out of the bottom of the wall and scale down and pick up his helmet and go back to the bottom of uh, the foundation of the wall and disappear again. Well, what the Persians didn't know is that there was a crack in the foundation of the wall and in the city. And tradition and history has it that those Persians would come through the wall at night, through the crack in the foundation, and would overthrow the, the city of Sarda and its army because of the neglect that was there. Not only the neglect, but the pride. The pride that their city could not fall, that they were strong, that they were, they were a mighty army, and, and all of the magnificent that was there. But yet, in the reality, 
see, there was a crack in the foundation. Now, Jesus would have had this in his mind as he spoke these words that we just wrote, that there was a great reputation, and yet because of negligence and pride, it was leading them to disaster and the doom that was before them. They had this great reputation, a reputation of being alive, a reputation of being a a victorious army. And yet right there was a crack in the foundation that led to their downfall. Well, Jesus is saying the same words to the church, to believers in the church. And in our negligence, in our pride, in our arrogance, if we're not comfortable, we too can get cracks within our foundation and we too can open the door to our own lives where the enemy can come in and bring, if it would be, uh, bring a downfall in our lives. The word he uses here, when we look at our scripture, he uses the word dead. The dead, you are alive, but yet you are dead. Now, it's literally like a lifeless corpse. It's, it's one that looks alive, it's dressed up, it's, it's, it's got the, the appearance of life, and yet it's dead. Now, this is a poor, maybe, prop that I'm going to have, but the mannequin that I have. Now, the mannequin can be dressed up. We could put all kinds of fancy jewelry on it. Uh, uh, we, could, we could make her, I think, her uh, uh, look very uh, beautiful on the outside with the garments and the jewelry. Uh, if, you know, if, we, if, we, if we take it even further, we can make it look very much alive. In fact, you can go into some stores and the mannequins look very, very lifelike. They, they look very uh, much like uh, uh, there is life there and sometimes it can even catch you off, uh, catch you off guard. All dressed up, But the reality is there's no life. The reality is it's like a lifeless corpse. There's nothing that's there. So the question is, how does this happen? Well, the reality is just as Sardis fell to the Persian army, you and I can fall by letting our guard down. And when we let our guard down, we can look like we're alive. At one time, there might've been a lot of life. There might've been a lot of victory, a lot of activity. But the reality is now, inwardly, we're dead or we're stagnant. Now, I've chosen to use the word stagnant today. The spiritually stagnant church. Stagnation is where there's no movement. Stagnation is where there's no flow. There's no activity. It's stagnant. We know what happens with water here, especially in South Florida, water that's stagnant. It gets mosquitoes, it gets all kinds of, uh, you know, algae, all kinds of things start living in it. You don't want to walk in a stagnant pond. You don't know what's there. It can at one time have much life flowing and fresh and, and bringing life to everything around. But now in its stagnation, it has death. Well, these believers, these believers in Sardis were being challenged to be watchful. That is to stay stay alert, to stay awake, to stay alive, to stay on fire, to continue to have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. In fact, when you look at this word in the King James, that's why I read the, the, the new King James to us today. He uses the word watchful, be watchful. And when he uses that word, this be watchful has this idea that you're on guard, 
that you're attentive, that you wake up, that you, you're awakened, that, that you're guarding. As the enemy is coming, like he attacks Sardis, the enemy is trying to attack your soul, to attack you, and he's looking for, an, he's looking for entrance into your life. And because of spiritual neglect, many times there becomes a major crack in our life that gives the enemy access into our life. So here, the believers in Sardis, and I wonder how many of us get caught into the same kinds of situation where they should be watchful. Instead, they're prideful. Instead, they're living with a pride and an arrogance. They're living on the past reputation of what it was. Instead of strengthening the foundations of their life and making sure there's nothing that would trip them up, there's pride, there's arrogance, this, there's, there's neglect, and it leads to the, to the, to the falling and to, the, uh, and to the, the downfall of their spiritual life. And so when we look at Scripture here again, the Scripture uses several words, several words, in fact, I want you, there are several key principles of the work of a Holy Spirit in our life, in the church and in our life. And these are key words. If you have a way of highlighting it or underlining it, I would highlight these key words because they're the key words that will help you and I not to find ourselves in a place where there's no life, there's stagnation, where, where, where we're not flowing with the power and the presence of the Spirit, the Spirit of God that God would want to release into your life and in my life. Look at these key words. Be watchful. In fact, type it in there or, 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 or just engage with me as I walk through these words. Be watchful. Strengthen. Remember. Hold fast. Repent. Obey. I mean, you're talking about some key principles, key principles that will keep us from becoming stagnant, key principles that'll help us from becoming spiritually dead. Now, how is it? How is it that a believer or a church could find itself in this situation. I've thought about this many times as a pastor, as, as a pastor. Thankfully, I, uh, for years, I believe God has given us a, a, a work and, and, and been in churches where there is a move of the Spirit of God and, and the work of the Holy Spirit is evident there. It's an apostolic church. It's a church that's on fire and, and moving into the gifts of the Lord. But how is it, how is it that this can happen? What happens in a church like this? Well, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer in a church has several key components that I want to encourage you about. In fact, I want to encourage you this week, keep the conversation going. Keep it going with others in your life group, in your circle, maybe in the chat box. Keep the conversation going of how the Holy Spirit can continue to do his work in your life and in the ministry of Christian Life Center. Let me give you a couple key, key thoughts to ponder. First of all, the work of the Holy Spirit is seen in the Spirit quickening our spirit, the quickening of the spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer in a church starts with the quickening of the spirit. What do you mean the quickening of the spirit, pastor? Well, look with me here in Romans chapter eight and verse 11. It says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. So what he's saying is the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave 
It's the spirit of God that's alive and active in you. And because God's spirit is in you, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's manifesting through you and, he, and he's transforming you through the work of the spirit. There is something that happens by the Spirit. Let me show you a couple other verses. I'm not sure if I have this next one on the screen, but Acts 20 and verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, that there was something in the Spirit and, and, and compelled by the Spirit. He's talking about Paul. Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I mean, Paul is, there's something, kind of like Pastor David I mentioned today, he, he's feeling compelled. There's a compelling of the spirit that moves you. You may not know where you're going. You may not know what's coming, but you know it's the spirit of God. Look at this next verse, John, John chapter 10 and verse three and four. I think I have this one on the screen. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice and they come to him. And they come and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Look at verse four. He walks ahead of, him, ahead of them and they follow him. Why? Because they recognize his voice. You see, what we see happening is that there is a quickening in our spirit, that we learn to recognize the voice of the spirit. We learn to understand where he's leading and where he's guiding. We're compelled that is a work of the Spirit in your life. I wanna challenge you to continue to press into that, to open your spiritual ears, to hear him. Open your ears to, to sense the Spirit speaking to you because that enables you to continue to have a well of refreshing of the Spirit of God working in and through your life. A second thing I see in the work of the Holy Spirit is a work of conviction, a convicting power, the convicting power of the Spirit in your life and in my life. Let me read this verse to you. In John 16, verse eight and nine, and when he comes, speaking of the Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Three different things. He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and it's a conjunction, and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me, Jesus says. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now it starts with our salvation. It starts with us coming to a realization that, that we've missed God, that sin has separated us from God that we've rebelled against God and we've gone our own way. And because we've gone our own way, we're isolated, we're separated from a loving God, a merciful God, a God that wants us to be with him for all of eternity. But our sin and our rebellion leads us away from God. And boy, there comes a day in every one of our lives, in every one of our lives, those of you listening to me that are followers of Christ, you can remember when it happened to you where God will intersect your life. I mean, where there's a moment where he will come and he will reveal to you your sin and your need for a savior in your life. And you'll come to that place of humility where you'll cry out and you'll say, Father God, forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. Forgive me of all of that that has separated me from you and let me find peace with you for forgiveness of sin comes through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the work of the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit may be speaking to you right now and he may be saying, 
I'm calling you. I want you to walk with me. I want you to learn my ways. I want you to learn to recognize my voice. I want you to grow in, in the principles of my word and, and who I am. I mean, he says a, a work of the spirit is that conviction of the, of, the, of the sin that we're living. But then he also said, and God's righteousness. You see, there's a way to man that seems right in his own eyes and we go our own way. But then with the, with the move of the Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, one day we realize that on our best day that we are doomed for all of eternity because our sin condemns us. And we come to a point that we realize that we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't stand in my own garment before God. No, I stand in the white garments washed in the blood, washed through Christ. I stand with him in my salvation. Many don't understand this, but it's the work of the Spirit. Now, all I can say, before I go on, all I can say for those that are here today, that if you're not walking with God, if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, if there's sin in your life, if there's things that have separated you from the love of God today, he's calling you. Today, he's asking you, surrender your heart to me. Give your life to me Ask me to come in and I will remove all of that sin. When you come back to the Father, when you give your heart to God in a moment, 1 John 1, 9 says, God will remove your sin when you confess it, when you repent of it and you ask for forgiveness. He removes it, he blots it away and you come back into a right relationship with the Father. Right where you're at, if you'll say, Father, do that in my life, the Lord Jesus, just like that, will begin to do a work of transformation. Now, if you pray that, if you're saying amen, yes, I need that in my life right now, if, if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. Sometime during this message, pick up your cell phone and I want you to text the word salvation to the number you're gonna see. And as you do, I guarantee you, we're gonna be praying for you. We're gonna lift you up. I got a little video clip that'll help you walk in the Lord. Every week for a few weeks, I'll send you just a little clip, like one, two minutes, that'll be words of encouragement of how to grow your faith. Text the word salvation to the number that you see, and we're gonna be praying and lifting you up. So there's a work of conviction, of bringing us uh, back into relationship with God. It's, it's a work of convicting us of the righteousness of Christ the ways of Christ, the, the principles of God. It's a work of the Spirit. Another thing that the Spirit does is he develops, he develops Christ-like character in you and me. Now, the longer you walk with God, the more you begin to realize this is a very difficult work of the Spirit. It is an absolute necessary work of the Spirit of God in our life. Why? It's because we're to be a reflection. I told you last week, we're to be a reflection of the glory of God, of, of, of God, a reflection of the glory of Christ in our life. That we're to be miniature Christians, Christ-like. We're to be a, represent, a representative of Christ. That when people look at your life, they look at my life, the character that they see in us is Christ-like. Oh, there's a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. But when you look in their life, they're not Christ-like. When you look at their life, they're not bearing fruit. Now, oh, you can't judge me. You can't judge. No, I don't judge you. You judge yourself by the fruit that you bear. And see, the reality is your life has got to bear the fruit of the Spirit of God. Now it starts, and we can see it here in Galatians 5, it starts with the fruit of the Spirit. 
developing this in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Galatians 5.22, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of this, all of these are characteristics, characteristics of the nature of Christ. So what is the Spirit doing? And boy, it's a continual work. It's, a, it's the work of sanctification. It's a journey of transforming us into the image of Christ. And boy, this is what we work on the most. In fact, our preaching is very character-driven to change our character, to align our lives and our character with the character of Christ. I don't wanna just preach a good motivational sermon. I don't wanna just do a, a good inspirational talk. At the end of the day, you and I have to be Christ like. We got to be a reflection of the glory of God in our life. And what the Spirit is doing in you and I is the Spirit is developing our character. Now, what I have found is that the Lord will put me in situations. Things will happen. Things will, 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 will take place around me. He'll put me in situations that will develop the fruit in my life. If you begin to pray for patience, that you need to be more patient, be expecting to be put into situations that will test your patience. Why? It's because God wants to develop that. He's developing your character. It's a work of the Spirit. Another work of the Spirit is guiding us, leading us. In fact, in John 16, verse 13, look here with me. But when he... The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you, underline it, guide you. Put it in the chat box. He guides me. He guides you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit's work is a work of guiding and leading. It's a work of speaking. And boy, one of the things on your spiritual growth and development is learning to discern, learning to hear and to recognize, to discern the voice of the Spirit, to learn to discern those gentle nudges, those, those promptings of the Lord, those, those gentle moments where, where God is, is speaking to you and leading you and asking you. It's an impression in the inner man of who you are where he's speaking in your thoughts or your mind. There's, there's something that's compelling you that you know it's the Spirit. It may be to call somebody, it may be to text somebody, to follow up on somebody. I mean, all through the week, all of us, God will bring people to your mind. And, and as he does, it's to pray for them. It's to reach out to them. I can't tell you how many times you can attest to the same where, where somebody will come to my mind. I'll reach out to them. I'll text them, call them, uh, reach out to them. And they'll say, man, it's exactly what I needed to hear. Called a pastor this week and, 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 uh, and I, shot, I, I sent him a text and he, he sent a text right back and he said, can you talk? And uh, he called me right back and we ended up talking and he was walking through a very discouraging time. And, and as we began to talk, you could feel the weight of that heaviness just lifting from him. You see, that was the spirit. It was the work of the spirit. It's not just something you or I think about, but God puts those promptings. He gives you that nudge. You'll pass somebody and the Lord will lay it on your heart to minister to them, to pray for them, to reach out, to touch them, maybe to give a financial gift to somebody. 
Boy, how many of us have, have been there or heard about those situations where you were at your last cent? I mean, you didn't have anything left. Something was before you. Maybe it was, you didn't have something to eat. You didn't have a bill that needed to be paid. You didn't have the money. Something was there. It's a financial crisis or wall. And boy, somebody right at that moment blesses your life. Now, all of us can say, God, send those blessings my way, right? Amen. Especially all of our SEU students. Send it my way, Lord. You know, just lay my mind on somebody, you know,'s heart. But, but the reality is that's how the Spirit works. He works like that in our lives. There's promptings, there's guiding. Don't grieve the spirit. Learn to trust the spirit. Don't, don't quench that, don't ignore it. Don't just press on, but learn to recognize it and obey it because it will grow your faith. God speaks to you and me. He speaks through his word. He speaks while we're praying. When you stop and you pray and, you, and, and then you meditate on what you've been praying, God begins to speak. He'll bring thoughts and oppressions and he'll bring pictures into your mind. I mean, that's the work of the prophetic in your, in your life. Sometimes he'll speak to you in your dreams. I believe that God will get your attention because maybe he hasn't been able to get your attention any other way through a dream or in a worship service like we're gonna have tonight where, where you're soaking in the spirit of God and you're entering into his presence, all of a sudden, God begins to download into your life. See, that's the work of the spirit. And when we are staying in a posture like this, can I tell you that man, it just stokes the, the work of the spirit and it allows the spirit to flow through us that we won't find ourselves hearing what the believers in Sardis did is you look alive, you look like there's lots of activity and lots of things happening, but yet inside, you're not spiritually alive. The last thing that the Spirit does, the Spirit enables us to witness. There's witnessing power. Now, as Pentecostals, we're a Pentecostal church. What does that mean? Well, as a Pentecostal church, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in miracles. We believe that that which God did in the book of Acts and all through the New Testament, God is still doing it today and he still wants to do it today. That God can still heal you, that God can still touch you, that God speaks to you prophetically. He brings revelation to you, that there's gifts and anointings that he wants to do through you and, and use you. But the ultimate primary purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Although all of those things are wonderful, Acts chapter one says, this is the primary purpose of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Look here, let's read it together. Acts 1, 8, but, I, but he says, but you will receive what? Power, power, underline it, power. Dunamis power, it's an anointing power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, I don't need the Holy Spirit. Well, can I tell you, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is a greater uh, anointing and unction and, 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 and authority that comes into your life to do the work of God. And it will happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And now here's the primary witness. So when you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. What's a witness? Well, a witness testifies to what they've experienced. So you're gonna testify. You're gonna receive a power. That power is a boldness. It's not just authority. It's not that kind of power. It's a boldness to overcome fear. Overcome fear to be what? 
his witness, to testify, to share of the goodness of God, the grace of God. What we like to say around here is that you're a messenger of hope. You have a message of hope and God wants you and I to take it everywhere. Say it with me, to everyone. And God says, I'm gonna anoint you for that. I'm gonna empower you to be my witness. Well, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. You are alive, you look alive, but really you're spiritually stagnant. How do you get past that? How do you allow the work of the Holy Spirit to work in your life? This week, I want you to ponder these thoughts I gave you right here because these are thoughts that God will use to awaken his work in your life. Before we wrap up today, I wanna share with you a few things that I believe, and I'm not gonna ponder on them, I'm not gonna camp on them, I just wanna give them to you. And maybe you keep the conversation going this week in your life group. Maybe those of you that'll be meeting up with your life group today, maybe you talk about these things that lead to spiritual stagnation. These are things that we see coming out of the church of Sardis. First of all, I can tell you that you will become spiritually stagnant when the word of God becomes dull in your life. When God's word is not alive and active like a two-edged sword in your life, you will begin to become spiritually stagnant. Why do we have a lot of weak believers? Why do we have a lot of individuals who are not seeing the power of God and the manifestation of the gifts of God and not seeing their prayers answered? It's because the word of God has become stagnant in their life. Look here. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is what? Alive and active. Underline it. Sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You see, many denominations are in decline right now. Many churches, 85% of churches are plateaued or declining and one of the reasons I believe is that we've moved away from the word and the power of the word and allowing the word to be the anointing that thrusts us out as the believers of God. I wanna ask you to make a commitment. I talk to you every week about it because I want you to make a commitment to the word of God, that you'll be anchored, that you'll lock in, that you'll get refreshing from the word. If the word of God becomes dull in your life, it's going to lead to spiritual stagnation. Let me just encourage you for a moment to get a reading plan, to get an accountability partner, to make a certain time every day that you're gonna read the Bible. Get a plan, get an accountability partner, get somebody that's gonna hold you accountable that will push, nudge, gently spur you on so that the word of God does not become dull in your life. The second thing that leads to spiritual stagnation is when I am more concerned about traditions than spiritual growth. See, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, it says they had a form of godliness. There was traditions, there was customs, there was things that they'd always done, but they denied the power. They denied the anointing. They denied what brings spiritual growth. See, the Spirit always presses us into the harvest. It moves us forward. Do you know that Jesus' greatest challenge came from the religious? 
It came from Sadducees and Pharisees. It became, it came from the religious of the day. Why? Because Jesus challenged their norms. He challenged their traditions. He challenged their customs. He challenged the way it was. You see, many times we, we take up traditions. We take up cultural traditions and, 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 and things that we've always done and we make it as though it's a theology. See, the reality is when we hold more to our traditions, to the spiritual growth, to that which God wants to do, I believe Jesus is going to challenge us here because if we're not careful, we're gonna get stuck in our traditions. Now hear me, hear me clearly. The word of God and the message of God never changes. It never changes. But the reality is there's a lot of traditions around our theologies that we've adopted and adapted and hold on to. And if we're not careful, it can keep us in a place of stagnation. Ultimately, the goal is to worship Jesus, to surrender all to him, to declare his glory and his holiness. That is what God desires from us. Another thing that leads to spiritual stagnation is when we lose our evangelistic fervor, when we lose a passion and a zeal to share with the lost, to be messengers of hope, to take a message of hope everywhere to everyone, that it's more than a, than a closing prayer or a slogan, but it's the passion of our heart. When we lose that, we're on the brink, we're on the edge of spiritual stagnation. You see, God has done a tremendous work in your life and my life. It's a work of grace. And we have this message of hope, the hope of grace that is a hope for all that are around. But when we quit praying for the lost, when we don't have a passion to share with the lost, when all of your friends are only believers, when the only ones that you talk to or hang out with are believers, you are on the edge of stagnation when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit working through your life. So the challenge for you and I, a challenge for us as a church is God, let us not lose our passion for the unlost, for the, for the unsaved and for, for the lost. I want to encourage you, be praying for your circle. Be praying for those that are outside the faith. Be praying for friends and family and neighbors and, and co-workers and people that are around. Keep it in your prayer and ask God to open doors, open conversations, open a way to share his love. Another thing that leads to spiritual stagnation is when we lower, we've been looking at it with a couple of our other churches, when we lower the standard of holiness when we allow worldliness to come in, when we adopt the values of this world, when we do that, when we embrace the world's standards and we lower the standard of God's holiness, I guarantee you we're on the edge of stagnation. Another thing that I've found is when I stop, when I stop, let me say it another way, when we stop serving the Lord, when we stop using our gifts, See, your gift is your anointing. Your gift is the gift that God has given to you to be released in ministry to the body of God, to the body of Christ. And when you quit serving, I'm telling you what happens when you quit the wind that fills the sails of your life, the passions in your heart that God puts there, the wind stops blowing. The wind of the Spirit stops blowing when you're not using 
your gifts. Now I know we've been in COVID, we've been at home, that has nothing to do about COVID. We've been sitting down, but it's almost time to get back up. When you get back up, you gotta get re-engaged. In fact, you gotta go harder. You, you've missed six months. You gotta, you gotta give it all. You gotta pour out. You gotta say, God, how do you wanna use me? When we stop serving, it leads to spiritual stagnation. One of the things I love when I walk around the church and different people are serving, be it they're behind cameras, they're serving as a, a you know, red carpet team or kids ministry or wherever they're at. Man, I'll just say, thank you for serving. Thank you for serving. I'll, I'll say that to them. And almost always they come back and they'll say, oh, pastor, you don't have to thank me. It's a joy. It's such a privilege for me to serve the Lord. Thank you for letting me serve. And by the way, that's my job description as a pastor. Our job as a pastor is to equip you so that you can do the work of ministry. Ephesians 4 says the role of the fivefold gifts of the, of the pastoral ministry is to equip believers, the saints, you, to do the work of ministry. When you do, there is something that flows through you. Lastly here, when my focus is more on past experience than my present condition. When the glory days are long gone, when God used to move like this and used to speak to you like that, and oh, do you remember those days? When that happens, the reality is you're in a place of stagnation. You gotta begin to stir it up. You gotta begin to, to get that vision of the Spirit moving in your life again. You gotta make that commitment again. You're gonna serve, you're gonna grow, that you're gonna be used by God. That if you're in a place that, 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 that you're seeing that there is more of what God wants to do, you get with the leadership, you talk to one of us as pastors and you say, man, I sense God is doing this and he wants to use me to do it. Don't just tell me what I gotta do. This is what God wants me to do and this is what God, I believe, is laying on our heart. Man, when you begin to let God move like that, it's not about what he used to do, but you begin to say, God, I wanna see you do it again. I don't want you to tell me how great God moved in your last church or in the country that you used to live in or when you were a teenager, I wanna hear what God's doing right now. I wanna hear how he's moving in your heart, how he's using your gifts, how he's speaking through you, how you're ministering to your neighbors. You see the reality? This letter hits all of us because the reality is so easy to find ourselves in spiritual stagnation. So in conclusion, I only said that one time. In conclusion, he gives us four steps. He, he gives us the steps of renewal. And that was, first of all, stir your passion. Be watchful. Remember those words? Wake up, repent, hold on, strengthen what remains, obey. What he's saying is stir up. Stir up the passion. Stir it up within you. Wake up, arouse yourself from your sleep. Get awake. Awaken yourself, shake yourself, get into that place where you say, power of God, move in me. Spirit of God, touch me. God, what's my purpose? You might be 85 years old right now. God has a purpose for you. You might be a shut-in, homebound. God can use you right now. You might be healthy. You might be having a lot of time. You might be a retiree and you're spending a lot of time doing a lot of nothing. Let me tell you, we've got a lot of purpose that we can give to you. Reach out and say, God, what do you want me to be a part of? Stir it up in your life. Secondly, he says, strengthen what remains. 
And that means find what's working, find what you enjoy, see where God's moving, see what you can do, and you join in. Just get there, man. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, touch me. I mean, let's quit talking about being filled with the Spirit and let's be filled with the Spirit. Let's move into mission and move into that which God has for us. So you stir it up, you strengthen what remains. And thirdly, I wanna just encourage you, remember what salvation meant to you. Just remember, remember of what God did, the forgiveness that came to you, what God did to transform your life. Keep going back there, come out on a baptism with us. Come out just to hear the testimonies, just to see what God's doing. Join SOD and get into a cadre. Come help work at an encounter. Come to drive through prayer. Come to these places where God is changing people's lives because it'll remind you of what he did in your life and it'll fuel you and press you on. And lastly, before we begin to pray, is be sensitive to the Spirit, to the Spirit of God and obey. Obey, be sensitive, obey. And as the Spirit speaks to you, you begin to move in that. Repent, repent of that which is spotted, which has stained you. Whatever it is that is, has come into you, that has made you where you're at, just begin to release it to the Lord. And as you do, God will begin to do a work in your life. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.